one of the ones that we've been trying out is a brand called Bonza and their their garbanzo bean uh, pasta, so chickpea. And and I mean, you have to cook it exactly the way that they say on the box. Like it's like you you know you cook it to eight minutes, you pull it out. Otherwise, it takes a turn. But oh man, is it actually it is actually really good. Like it's like I can't tell the difference between that and the normal pasta that I ate. Salam alaikum, everyone. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Feel. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who was taking donations from the NRA, name on you. I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believed them. Children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if you're going to figure out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, that didn't happen. And here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 157 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless America. May God bless America. May God bless America. Hi, Jeffrey. What's up? Uh, not quite sure yet. Aha, okay. I wasn't sure on Easter what was going on. So happy Easter. Happy Easter. So many things going on with Easter that I'm just so happy. Hey Jeffrey, mm-hmm. what do you get when you cross when you cross an elephant and a rhino? Elephino. Elephino. I love that. It's one of those things now. Every time I say hell if I know, I'm always gonna think of that animal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get it. That's awesome. So I was just um checking out our Twitter at public access pod before I was getting on the air just to see what was going on. There was some world animal news about this awesome fox uh stealing, you know, stealing something. I don't know. I just, I just read the caption. But there was um every hour we post a um a hotline for people that are being bullied. Mm-hmm. And you know, you shouldn't have to ask somebody to find out who to ask is is the slogan that we put on it. And every hour we do that. And we got some traction from somebody else who who's trying to explain bullying and that how every species manages to bully and all of us are prone to bullying at some extent. And that made me think of the fragility of communications and our egos to to kind of take offense to something that maybe wasn't 
meant to be offensive. And so it could come off as bullying. If somebody, somebody shared a gift with me yesterday and I was like, I don't know if you know how frustrating it is to try and read something that's just flashing on my screen mm -hmm. as an answer. And then I was like, oh, that sounds like I'm mad. So I had to put, I'm not mad. I just tried reading it for the first time. I just tried reading a GIF, which wasn't necessarily true. It was the style the GIF used, but I had to like, I had to mm -hmm. explain where I was coming from just so that somebody didn't think I was outraged. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, and that's, that's always the tough part is, you know, you think about just the way that communication has changed even, even in the last 20 years, our ability to communicate over instant messenger or text even. And right. you lose a lot of that verbal context as to where, you know, where that's coming from, because, you know, I could hear you just sitting there going, oh, do you have any idea how frustrating it is to try and read this? And it sounds right. a lot different than when you read it just cold because it sounds like you're actually like really upset right so you know even just even just within the context of reading text versus hearing somebody's voice mm. you know we we miss a lot of social cues that would tell us oh this person is this person is frustrated but they're not like you know they're not like angry and mad right exactly so yeah, and I think we we I think we try to counter that by reading way too much into the messages that we're mm -hmm. getting. And that's my problem. I tend to be blunt because I just want to say it because I'm doing 40 other things because I, I think I have ADHD. You know what I mean? Right. And so to me, it's just uh, putting a pin there so that, you know, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. If you want to stop it, just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But nothing... I try to tell people all the time, I'm never mad. If I'm asking questions in quick succession, it's because I don't understand and I really want to understand mm -hmm. because I don't think people are ever intentionally assholes to me for the sake of being an asshole. I think they have something behind it that they're trying to share. And I have to dig into that with some people. And some people just tell me, hey, your fly's down. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Right. And that's how it is. We go on with life. And I have I have trouble communicating with people because they always think I'm frustrated with the verbiage I use in texts because I don't dumb down my language. And I found out that putting a period at the end of your text means you're mad. <laughs> I would have never thought about that. Right. You know, it's, we kind of, you know, it's kind of like when you look at the history of where text came from, it was just this idea that <clears throat> you couldn't talk to somebody in person Mm -hmm. you couldn't send them like a voice clip or anything like that you just needed to communicate something short sweet to the point well that that can be kind of difficult you know and yeah like especially if you're someone like me who's kind of a sarcastic dick most of the time right i have sarcasm coming out of my veins you know right and so you know i end up with people being like yo are you, you know did i say something to piss you off i'm like no i thought i was being funny but apparently i wasn't right or i'm trying to find a sweet way to say something abrasive <laughs> you know what i mean uh, because i tend to say things to people that that comes off as abrasive like i'm not saying you're completely invalidated as a person because you need to address uh, re 
adjust and move an angle to the right or left to be correct. I'm just saying you're so close to your point that maybe if you rethought it from another perspective, you'd be dead on, you know? <laughs> or of, I, of what I used to say, oh, man, it's probably about 10, 15 years ago is can't say something nice. Say it like a total dick because then everybody will yeah. think you're joking. <clears throat> right, exactly. And with my mom, we used to debate everything everything i mean she was she was jewish so she debated everything and as soon as that she started losing the argument she would flip it and take my side and make me defend the other side until i was starting to be right and then she'd flip it again and those were the conversations i had growing up with all of my family they all did that mm. to everybody everybody did that to everybody so discussion to me is supposed to be a little heated to get anywhere it, it makes no sense if we constantly agree on everything but you also we have, you also have to be able to argue the other side's point if you want to effectively counter it and i've, yeah. I've shown that time and again with with some people that i know <clears throat> uh one time somebody asked me to defend fracking and mm. you know the way that we currently pursue oil said okay and so i went after it and they were legitimately angry at me yeah and they're like how could you believe such a thing i'm like the answer is it's i don't i just right. i know how to get into that headspace to argue like i do well because if something is happening it's because somebody mm -hmm. thought it was the right thing and if you take their argument a lot of times it makes sense because it became mm -hmm. active action you know mm -hmm. what i mean and so you know, a lot of the times when I approach arguing a point, it's not just because it's a point that I believe in. It's because I've, in my head, sat down and thought about it from a person who has such a perspective. So that way yeah. I can try and counter the arguments that they're going to have, which is why, you know, like I said, with, with progressives most of the time, I like the end goal. And I get why they why they think the way that they do and why they think that more government involvement is going to solve the issue. And I can uh -uh. see why they would think that. Because, you know, realistically put, there is no greater bargaining power than the federal government of the United States. The problem is, is, is that when you start, when you think like that, and you know that there that is, you tend to just write everything off as, so this is a good thing, until you start dissecting everything that says you know this is actually a bad idea yeah i figured it out jeffrey mm. i figured it out we don't have a problem with government we have a problem with bureaucracy yes and i think even republicans would say they're okay with the size of the government it's the bureaucracy within the government and so i think progressives matched with republicans would reach a libertarian goal <laughs> if you took the two if you took aoc and tom cotton put them into one person you might have something that wants to be progressive but wants to get rid of the bureaucracy that it takes to get it done and i heard this saying and it made me think of you there's no atheists in foxholes and there's no libertarians in a pandemic and i immediately thought of you and i was like no 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 this is the libertarians time to shine mm -hmm. because because it's like building a website without the infrastructure mm -hmm. behind the website you can put all the websites you want out there but they're just going to crash one by one by one unless you have um 
a, you know, the coding and everything, a system in place for that, for that website to maintain and manage. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that's the funny thing is, you know, the whole, there's no libertarians in a pandemic. It's, you know, I've had to argue that <clears throat> I've had to argue both ways during this pandemic. Well, a lot of ways I should say, you know, yeah. why, why, for example, I understand why, you know, the liberals want to shut things down because, you know, it's the same reason that the liberals want to shut things down is the same reason why the Republicans only want to teach abstinence in school. You can't spread something if you don't do anything. I get it. I mean, that's 100%. Right. If you don't want to spread something, don't fucking do it. Absolutely. I agree with that. But for the rest of us who live in reality, <laughs> you know, right. the answer, the answer looks like the answer looks like Japan or Korea. You know, they, they required people to wear masks and they're ha they have consequences if you don't. Now, right. I can make the argument as to why I think that's not necessarily the best model, but the data tells me that it works. It works better than what we did. <laughs> we'll go with that. It, it's the Swiss cheese theory, and mm -hmm. I love this theory. If you take four slices of Swiss cheese and put them together, there's no holes. So masks, they might be one effective measure. Social distancing is a second slice of cheese. Uh, limiting sanitization, sanitization a, and limiting your time right. around other people. Exactly. Right. And now, so and now we've added cheese. the fifth slice, which should really shore this thing up, and that is vaccinations. And I, I love it. Are you you got your first shot right? Yep. And Saturday I get my second shot. Oh, you're already to your second shot, huh? That's Saturday, and and then 14 days after that, I'm free to see and spend time with who I want. Um, what I what I think is really interesting is the cancel culture that's about to come from that, mm -hmm. because what I'm feeling, the side effect that I've been feeling for about a week is this, is this sense of superiority <laughs> to anybody that hasn't gotten the shot because now it's like, yeah, I can go to a baseball game after April 24th because I've been vaccinated, but guess what? You can't, if you haven't been vaccinated, I can go fly on a plane. I can just buy a ticket and go. You can't, if you haven't been vaccinated. And so these people that didn't want the vaccine mm -hmm. that their politicians got, but then told them not to get it. Right. The irony <laughs> they're of gonna that. Be, they're going to be, that that's going to be shrinking because between the infection rate just bouncing from them and them dying and them not being able to do anything and eventually just getting the vaccine so that they can go to to disneyland is going to be a huge difference you know what i mean so for me like i have a fundamental issue with the whole vaccine passport idea in 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 oh, the United the States, like because there's already there's there, I think New York has been proposing that they essentially like you can't travel from outside the state into the state without mm -hmm. the without showing proof of vaccination. I have a fundamental problem with with the whole vaccine passport, but I will say that traveling to other countries is there's already a standard there. Like to go to Africa, you have to be vaccinated for certain diseases there. Because Why? Because yep. you don't want to catch sleeping sickness from the tsetse fly. You really don't. Mm -hmm. um, right. Or in places in India, like you will be required to get a certain set of vaccines because they have um, <clears throat> leprosy and polio issues. Right. So that's why I say we didn't defeat polio. It still exists. It's just not big enough to affect us. It's not here because 
vaccinations. And because <laughs> vaccinations. And 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 I mean that's the reality of it is is that polio didn't go away. It got vaccinated into being not an issue. Right. Here. Here. And and now, you know, in, in India where they've been vaccinating for polio, when I was so when I was getting my master's degree and I, I had a lot of Indian cohorts. You, you started to see this weird rise in the whole anti-vaxxer movement, you know, in 2015 to 2017 when I was right. in master school and they were, they, they looked at me and they were like, I don't understand this. Why, why do you, yeah. why do your people have such a problem with vaccinations? We've been dealing with polio and we're finally vaccinating for it. And it's like turned this massive corner for us. And mm. I said, I have no answers for you because most of us were raised with, you get your goddamn shots and you know, that's the end of it. Yeah. And the others were raised with a suspicion of a government, not telling us everything, but just what we needed to know. The ant- So the yeah. anti-vaxxer breakdown is a lot closer, uh, a lot more evenly split than you would like to think it is. So I believe it. So um, the last time that I looked this up would have been about 2016. And at that time, uh, the split between anti-vaxxers was 60% conservative, 40% liberal. And I was like, I, I was like, wow, that's, that is a lot closer split than I thought it would have been. I thought you were going to go with people that have privilege and money can risk it. And oh, so uh, they, abs- they, they believe it, but people that are too poor say, I don't believe in vaccines because they just can't afford it. You know what I mean? There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's some of that, but mm-hmm. there's been a lot of that rise of, you know, the, the, I know what I'm talking about because I did a Google search and I saw that mercury right. was listed in a vaccine and, and that vaccines mm-hmm. cause autism. And it's like, <sighs> yeah, I, one of the things that I told people about getting my master's degree is, is that uh, the thing about getting a master's degree isn't that, you know, I know everything. I just know how to research better than most people. Or critically think. Not even just critically think, because you have to know what you're looking for. And you have to be able to understand what you're reading as part of that. So for example, like for me, one of the things that I'm constantly having to look up is different ways in which I can pull in and manipulate data. So that way it comes out in a way that's clean and easy to graph. You know, people right. think, it makes people sense. think, Oh, manipulating data, you're changing the numbers. No, no, that's not how it goes. It's uh, you have to think about it as all of these numbers come in as a conglomerated clusterfuck, and you kind of have to clean it up. So that way it's like, okay, here's how this should look. So that way a machine can easily take this information and work with it. (laughs) Or with the relevant information as opposed to uh, ancillary information. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's not that you're deleting anything. It's just that, you know, one data set might have a couple of pieces that you need. So you got to pull that in. And another data set has pieces that you need. You got to pull that in. And then you got this data set over here that you need to grab, but then you need to clean out all the other columns that you're not using. So, Mm -hmm. so you clean out those columns and then you have to figure out how do you reference all of these, these data sets together. So that way you create, you, you not necessarily create, but you, you pull in all the relevant pieces that you're trying to study because a lot of the times the information that you're getting there's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't need that's that's not that's not important to what you're you're trying to do 
Yeah. And so that so when you put all of that together, I mean, we call it manipulation because, you know, when you look at the definition of manipulation, it's literally just the the usage and, you know, formation of something based on your needs. Not not sure. with the like we talk about with context, not manipulation as in somebody who does something to someone in order to get them to agree with. That's not it. Because sometimes you do True. all of that work and you're like, yeah, this is going to prove my point. And then you hit enter and wow, that doesn't look anything like I thought it would. Okay. So I was wrong. <clears throat> and that's just the way that, that it goes. That's what a news story is though. A news story is just a collection and formulation of relevant information that proves your theory. Right. But anybody should be able to do the research. I mean, okay. So the first thing you type in is, is there mercury in vaccines? Oh, sometimes a long time ago, they did use that. Um, is there second search? Is there mer where else? What else is mercury in second search apples? Hmm. Okay. Right. What's the percentage in a vaccine as opposed to an apple? But people don't want to continue that research because the first thing proved them right. <laughs> well, and, and, but then you also have to understand that from a biochemical standpoint, as our guest had pointed out, the way mercury bonds with other things renders it inert. So yeah. if, if you don't understand that and you don't know that you're, you see mercury and you go, Oh my God, this stuff is deadly. It's going to cause all sorts of health issues. And I mean, if you are yeah. just working with straight mercury, yes, absolutely. Mm. But like many other things, it all depends on how you chemically bind it because it changes That's its right. properties. That's amazing. It's like, it? it's like, you know, you think about it. There are so many things out there that could actually kill you. I mean, chlorine could actually kill you. Chlorine <laughs> right? will kill you. It is caustic. It is painful. But guess what? You eat a fucking ton of it in salt because it bonds with sodium and it yeah. changes its properties. That's right. Um, all of our dyes and our, our fake food flavorings come from petroleum. You know what I mean? So, so the idea that, so the idea that, you know, you see something and you get horrified because, you know, you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. But then, you know, you have to understand that chlorine, like, like I said, chlorine has multiple uses. Chlorine gets used mm -hmm. as, as, um, as a disinfectant and, you know, you use it in pools. You know, it, it helps keep your water from getting bacterial growth. You consume that. I mean, there are times when you could probably taste the chlorine more than others. And ugh. but also too, like chlorine bonds with sodium. And that's how you get straight up table salt, you mm. know, and you can, and some of you consume a fuck ton of that. I mean, after my stint at Bozeman's uh, 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 dining halls back in the mid, mid to late 2000s, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty set on my salt intake because <laughs> yeah. that was salty that was, the, that was the first thing that I actually, like as a 20 year old decided I didn't need to do. I decided I was going to eat the food as it was. I wasn't going to salt and pepper it at the table because it should be made the way I like it. <laughs> I like adding pepper to stuff. Like for example, I had mm -hmm. eggs and toast this morning, threw some pepper on my eggs. You have to, but I mean, Love. as they're cooking, right? No, I throw it on after. Oh wow, you like the straight taste? Yep. I like it a little. I like it a little cooked down. Yep, it it's it's a taste. Pre I mean, I like it cooked into the food as well, but I also like mm -hmm. it on top. So it's it's one of those things. Like it just depends on how you're going to work with it, and 
law, you know, even with simple cooking, you can relate that back to how vaccines work is, is that, mm -hmm. you know, mercury is not the stabilizer that you add at the end of the process and it's just sitting there floating. Right. It's part of your cooking, you know, it's part of your, your process of making uh, the vaccine and that by bonding it properly, you don't have to worry about mm -hmm. it. The amount of things that you actually deal with that have mercury in it is, is quite incredible. You know, when you think about any number of things, you know, if you're, if you're really concerned about, you know, mercury in your food or in your vaccines, you know, you should do some research on the number of households that still have lead pipe, lead, something we know that causes problems. Houses, mm -hmm. they're, how, they're like, I want to say it's like 10% of houses in America have lead pipe that still feed the house. Yeah. No, that's I, insane. I totally and that, there is no bonding on that. You're just getting straight lead in your water. <laughs> um, so first of all, the guest you referred to, Dan, our buddy, our uh, oh, our infectious disease expert, is going to be visiting us next week. Fantastic. Which is exciting because of the COVID, just the vaccines. We all wanted to brag about it a little bit. And I was thinking when you were saying that we all, we're all scared of gluten these days, but gluten is just the thing that forms the thing that binds the bread, mm -hmm. right? So gluten isn't as scary as you would think, you know? But, you know, and, and, and then that's the thing is, is that, for people who have genuine, you know, allergies and markers for it, you know, I've got mm -hmm. people in this house that have gluten issues. I've got family that has gluten issues. I have friends that are celiac and there's really bad right. issues. You know, gluten isn't this whole huge terrifying thing. Like that, like I remember watching that rise and I was like, oh, this is fucking stupid. You know, yeah. everybody thinking that, you know, for the people that have the allergy or have heightened allergy markers towards it, yeah, it's mm -hmm. a problem. And I got, I did a full food allergy panel test. And oh, did you? Uh, this was in 2010. And nothing. I wasn't allergic to anything in 2010. Now, I should probably do another one at some point because I'm pretty sure that lactose has probably made it onto that list. Gotcha. But for the, but I really don't have any food allergies. Unlike other people mm -hmm. in the house where they do have food allergies. And hey, great. That just means that, you know, we know what to avoid for them. <clears throat> right. But avoiding gluten as somebody that isn't intolerant, intolerant of it is nothing. Right. It does nothing to you or for you, no. but it helps the people you're around. Yep. And so if you can find something that's good and tasty, I made biscuits with gluten-free flour because I ran out of regular flour. Mm -hmm. So I used half coconut flour and half gluten-free flour. And I gave them to my friend and Thanksgiving, he ate four of those things. And he was like, these are the best biscuits I've ever had. And I was like, it's just the way I cooked them. They're gluten-free. And he was, he got a smile. Like, you mean, I'm doing something for my diet. No, 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 you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he felt good about it. And I didn't care. You know, my sister has celiac and so does my brother-in-law and their daughter. So I learned to learn about those things. Mm -hmm. And I would call her and be like, what about rice? And she'd be like, Stop it. Right. You know, I, I got all those lessons and, you know, you can eat potatoes if you're gluten, if you're worried about gluten, but you can't, if you're worried about sugar. You know? Right. And, and that's the, you know, and that's just it is, is that, you know, that's where that whole understanding your own body and what makes you feel better yeah. than others is, is important. You know, even in this household, <clears throat> like me and my oldest, we like to have a lot of meat in our diet. That's where we feel the most satisfied. Mm -hmm. Debbie and our youngest, they're more veggie people. 
you know, the more veggies mm. they have, the more satisfied that they are. And that's just, that's understanding, you know, what, what works best for your body is really important, but also to being sure. healthy about it. I mean, you have to, you have to know when your body's going to be, you know, when your body's like, mm, maybe I should add a little bit of meat into my diet a little bit more, or, Hey, you know, yes. my stomach's really bothering me because, you know, I'm not taking enough plants in and I'm shitting literal bricks. Right. It's a fiber thing. It's a, yeah. Oh. If I eat straight barbecue for three days, I'm not going to lie, but that vegetable, that vegetables are satisfying. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll take that. So and that's... what I try and I try and have a balanced meal with low carb, but then my joy is getting a dessert because mm. then the dessert gives me the carbs that mm. finish it mm. off. Just like drinking a lot of water with my meal. I eat less because I'm drinking so much water and all of that is in an in incorporation of right. a healthy diet. You know? Right. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is like, as I've gotten older, there've been nights where I'm like, you know what? A salad sounds really nice tonight. Yeah, Fuck right. yeah, salad. Whereas yeah. if you would ask me like 10 years ago, I would have been like, salad? The fuck are you right. on? I try to eat salads three times a week, actually, because of the fiber and the content and the just the diversity in what I'm eating. Because a salad is amazing when you go shopping with the salad mentality and you look at and you're like, ooh, what cheese would I want to put on that? Mm -hmm. Ooh, I can put eggs on this. Ooh, chicken breast. And so the, the options are limitless with salads. It's just we have this stereotype of what a salad should be but i grew up at sizzler and it was like the all-you-can-eat salad bar mm -hmm. I, my mom would take me there because the kid's salad bar was free if she bought a meal so i got to eat the salad bar and yeah bacon bits and you know thousand island dressing it didn't really matter right you know but also too i will say that you know uh a person's love for vegetables or meat just entirely mm -hmm. depends on how they grew up like based on how i grew up you know, the only time that we really had vegetables was when we had our large garden grow. And as a kid, I would, <laughs> I would apparently sit out in the garden and I would just eat all the vegetables. I would eat all the peas. Oh, I'd yeah. eat all the strawberries. I just, I would eat everything that was out there. But That's then, awesome. but then, you know, when I had to, when we moved, you know, after my parents separated and I was living in an apartment with my mom, you know, and all mm. we could afford were canned peas, that shit was disgusting and I couldn't yeah. eat it. Like it was just absolutely horrible. So, you know, what ends up happening is, is, you know, my love of vegetables completely takes a left turn. And that's when you realize the cost of fresh fruits and vegetables is a barrier that is so high and such yeah. a bummer because you know, most people enjoy the raw fruits and vegetables. You know, mm -hmm. everybody's got their you know their their taste profile their texture profile that they like and, and there's i've been learning about that a lot lately mm. but overwhelmingly the the greater access you have to fruits and vegetables that are fresh you know you start to figure out it's like hey you know my kids actually like certain things because they're fresh they're delicious and mm -hmm. it, it, it tastes far different than the canned stuff does and I think it comes from cooking because I never liked like raw vegetables, but when I'm cooking and chopping up celery, I eat it to see what the flavor is. And like bell peppers, I would have never eaten a raw bell pepper, but I'm sitting there like, and I have a bowl full of just the vegetables I cut so I can sit there and snack on it, you know? And I think more people need to realize mm -hmm. that, that, and I think your flavor 
I think your taste buds start out brand new and things just are so strong to you, so vivid. But I think as you get older, your taste buds get used to certain things. And so when you eat a Brussels sprout in your 40s that's made right, as opposed to a crappy one you ate when you were a kid, you're like, all right, I can see this for the elegance that it has, you know? But this, So this is where body chemistry comes in, though, because, <clears throat> you know, every five to seven years, your cells change out. And so Everyone, you, yeah. you pick up new tastes, you pick up new dislikes. So like right now, we, so we found out that our youngest last night suddenly detests barbecue sauce. <laughs> the smell of it makes makes her nauseous and i was like ah shit i remember that about yeah, about her too. age uh so as a kid black olives went on every pizza that i had i loved black olives they were amazing mm. they were delicious i loved it about her age all of a sudden the taste of black olives is just like nope cannot do it yep. and i've lost the taste for it ever since um uh baking a ham for example i know there's probably a bunch of people out there this easter that are out there baking hams the smell of it literally makes me nauseous but it used to be one of my favorite foods like i wow. i have a lot of memories of going up to wolf point montana my grandma would have just made a, a big ham and just getting huge chunks of that and eating it with easter dinner or and i loved it i loved ham mm -hmm. but about my youngest age nope <clears throat> like the smell of it just instantly made me nauseous and I'd throw up. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And it was, and that was also the time that I suddenly became lactose intolerant. So, so even still like your body, I would, I would say that, you know, sometimes, you know, you can say, yeah, your tastes mature, but I think it happens to be more a function of body chemistry than it does just your tastes maturing. Because, for I, example, I never liked Brussels sprouts until Debbie made Brussels sprouts for me one time. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, these are actually delicious. What the hell? <laughs> right. I had a friend make them for me. And I was like, is this what they're supposed to taste like? Come back next week, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, I have a, a friend um, and I told her, I was like, you're my favorite bag of chemicals in the universe. Mm -hmm. Because, I, yeah, I think we're all just a big bag of chemicals. And we're, if you want to change your molecular composition, drink more water. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the things that I'm, that I'm having to get back into is, is that, you know, I've hit some, I hit, you know, I hit a spot where it's just like, it was really busy, really run down. So it's like, it, mm. you know, it's always easy to grab a soda to get that caffeine and sugar kick. I've had to right. switch out of drinking regular soda because I get sugar crashes really hard. Like mm. if I have a, if I have a Pepsi about two hours later, I'm just like falling asleep at my desk and that's bad. So that's right. But if I have diet sodas, that doesn't happen. Really. I shouldn't just mm. be having soda at all. So, you know, I gotta say that like I had a Coke zero <clears throat> and it did not raise my blood sugar level at all. And I found this pasta that was on sale and I, I, I didn't know what it was. I was like, I got a weird pasta. It's Durham wheat pasta. Mm -hmm. And, and it does not raise my blood. I mean, I ate a big bowl of pasta with, you know, sauce and meat. And I checked my blood sugar and it was like nothing. And I was like, how did that happen? Like yeah. I'm finding these foods that actually work with my body. And I think that's so cool. Cause it's, everybody says, don't eat pasta blood sugar no don't eat pasta but i can in moderation and i love the fact that i can eat more because this doesn't affect me. one of the ones that we've been 
trying out is a brand called Bonza, and they're they're garbanzo bean uh, pasta, Ooh. so chickpea. I love that. And and I mean, you have to cook it exactly the way that they say on the box. Like mm-hmm. it's like you, you know, you cook it to eight minutes, you pull it out. Otherwise, it takes a turn. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but oh man is yeah. it actually it is actually really good like it's like i can't tell the difference between that and the normal pasta that i ate and so they've got right. you know they've got their own mac and cheese now they've got all these different you know linguine fettuccine rotini spaghetti mm. bow tie you know macaroni like all of these different noodle types just made out of garbanzo beans and we actually used to grow garbanzo beans on on the farm so to see some of this start to take a turn into that, it's like, okay, you know, people are, yeah. people are, you know, branching out for some people, you know, they're moving towards these things because they're celiac and they want to be able to have mm-hmm. a bowl of pasta like you and I can. Right. And, and they just can't because of, you know, the, you know, the gluten markers that are in, in, in those pastas, but, mm-hmm. you know, by swapping it out, there was another one that Debbie tried it was called Palmini and it's, you know, essentially noodles made from palm hearts. Actually oh. pretty good. Like if you look like palm hearts, if you're looking for more on the veggie side of things, that's, that's pretty neat. It is. So, you know, to me, like, that's exciting because, you know, I like the exploration of food, like all these things that are changing that, you know, make food more delicious. Yeah, me too. And what I think amaze- is amazing Ooh. is like. Oh, up? Debbie's telling me here, just so you know. Uh, Hi, Debbie. The bonza pasta is low on the glycemic index. Mm, so that's awesome. News, so some info for you. So that way you can get yourself some pasta. I love it. And that's the thing is like, uh, well, I was going to say, it's like, I didn't like yogurt and then I loved yogurt Mm -hmm. and then I hated yogurt. But then when I liked yogurt again, there was new brands of yogurt. And then I didn't, I was tired of yogurt. And then I came back to yogurt and there's this Greek yogurt and I liked yogurt, but now I'm not so much into yogurt, but for, I mean, and we go in those spurts like that. Somebody will say, I thought you didn't like yogurt. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't. And again, it depends on how it's prepared. I didn't like crab the first time I had it, but now crab is okay because I had it the way it was meant to be made. You know, that for me, that, that is, um, um, rhubarb. I've never, I had never had rhubarb. Like I loved the taste of rhubarb, but the, okay. it was to me rhubarb was like eating celery that was flavored like rhubarb. <clears throat> so it was just okay. like mm, no, no, not a fan of that. But uh, the first time um, Emily actually made rhubarb anything, and I was like, I'm not a fan of rhubarb, but hey, I'll try it, just because you never mm-hmm. know, you know. So he's like, hey, maybe this time I'll like it because it's been a while since I've had it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've tried it on and off several times and it's been like, mm, nope, mm, nope, mm, nope, mm, nope. Emily made like a rhubarb, a strawberry rhubarb cake or something. And, Ooh, and I took a bite and I was like, oh my God. Yes, this is what I've yeah. been looking for. It's just in the right in the right amount mm-hmm. the, with the other ingredient. You would never eat a salt cake, right? right? But you're gonna put a little salt in your cake, but you don't want to make that the main ingredient. It doesn't taste right. Right. So I was really excited, you know, the first time that I got to have rhubarb, and it was, and I liked it, and I was like, mm-hmm. wow, because like, I always loved the flavor of it, but the texture I couldn't get past. And for I the first that. time, I had rhubarb that was cooked the right way for for at least my taste my texture palette 
I love that. I have a question, a mm. farm question for yeah. you. Let's do it. I've been thinking about it all week and I just, I didn't research it at all. Cause I thought, why I can, I can turn this into a conversation Ooh. with Jeffrey or I can look it up and find the answer. Mm-hmm. So cows, right? Cows. Yep. You used to raise cows. We're, okay. So like the, the cow, the, the female cow, mm-hmm. we, we get, we get milk from the cow because the cow produces milk. Right. Mm-hmm. And the cow produces milk and we get the cow. And if we didn't get the milk from the cow, the cow would die. Right. Mm, some so, of them. Yes. So uh, we're, how did those cows survive before people were milking them? Because I'm having this real hard time imagining the cow in the wild. Just, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. So, <laughs> All right. So to understand this, you have to go to, you have to go back to discussions on selective breeding. <clears throat> awesome. So cows, uh, so, you know, all cows produce milk after, you know, like after they've had their calf. Okay. Now, differences is you can go out, you could go out and milk any cow, but their ability to produce milk is fundamentally different uh, amongst the different breeds. So, for example, okay. you, you could go out and milk your Angus, but you're not going to get the volume of milk that you would from, say, a Jersey or a Holstein. Gotcha. The reason why is, is that you know, Jersey's Holsteins, there's a couple other breeds, um, have been selectively bred throughout, you know, a millennia, essentially, mm-hmm. to be the milk producers that they are, to be constantly producing milk versus producing milk after having calf. Like, it's it's a selectively bred trait. Okay. So <clears throat> initially it was like, it was the calf milking the mom. Essentially. Yes. And, and, okay. and depending on, and depending on the species of cow, some of them will continuously produce milk as long as it's being extracted. But most cases they kind of dry up a little bit until it's calving season again. And then voila, they're back to milk, but jerseys and Holsteins were bred for their milk production, their volume and the consistent uh, consistency in which, you know, they produce milk. Yay. Science. So, so that's, but that's like, you know, ancient archaic science. It's like, Hey, you know, I like this breed because it gave me, you know, a half a bucket more milk than this other breed did. I wonder if I can get sure. some more of these guys. You know, this was really, you know, it was more like trial and error than it really was like actual science. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, I mean, it passed for science mm-hmm. at the time. So, so like with, so I didn't raise dairy cows. Um, I read, I raised uh, beef cattle. But with but with dairy cows, you know, you run into a lot of issues, um, you know, because I mean, Jason, how would you feel if I was milking you every day? Hmm. <laughs> no, don't you smile at me like that, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> well, it depends. Are you, are you cackling over there? <laughs> are you going to sit there and, and drink it in front of me? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why the hell do you have that milk mustache, Jeff? Uh, right? none, none, of your, none, none of your business? Uh, I know what you mean. After, but, if, after the first week, it might get a little old. I might need a break, you know? And, 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 so you, <laughs> and so that's one of those things that, you know, currently they're looking into. Because milking cattle is, 
you know, it's it's rough on the cow in a, in a lot of ways, but not milking them is equally as bad because that's what they've been bred to do. So mm-hmm. you have this weird cross section of we're continuing to do something, but we're maybe not necessarily doing it the right way. Like there's a lot of cleaning, a lot of sterilizing that you have to do. Otherwise, you'll end up with cows that get, you know, they'll they'll get sores on their udders. You'll end up uh getting you'll end up having your the milk get tainted because of different bacterias so there's there's this massive intersect of you know how do we keep the cattle healthy how do we keep production up a lot of questions going back and forth so you know and that's one of those things where you gotta let science do science to figure some of these things out because you know, you don't want, you don't want to harm the animal when you're doing this. And and I'm sure that there's a bunch of people that are probably, if they hear that, they're going to scream and cry. And all I can tell you is, is that if you don't milk those cows, they will have very, a very, very, very painful life until they die, (laughs) because that's what happens to them. That's what they were bred for. Exactly. And, and so that, that in and of itself is, I would say equally as disgusting. (laughs) I, I totally agree. And so, but if you take a cow who emits methane to produce the milk or an almond tree, which creates oxygen to produce that milk, you could see where you would slowly want to go to maybe an almond milk or an oat milk or a different variety of milk that isn't created from that. Or you, know? you let science do science and where they've started to see where by using certain uh, seaweeds and kelps, like in their feed, They've been able to reduce methane production in cattle anywhere from 66 to 97%. It's kind of all over the board. They're still trying this out to figure out what what this looks like. So, I mean, really, you know, it's kind of one of those things like, you know, like there's a bunch of people who are consistently screaming, follow the science. Well, Mm -hmm. let the science do the science. If there's a way that cattle can reduce their methane production, awesome. Because, you know, that is going to be better for our environment, number one. And usually when you've got high methane production in animals, it's usually because there's something they're eating that they're not agreeing with. Right, because it's not healthy. Right. I like that. So, so that to me, that's awesome. And we need to let the science do the science. Whether or not you I, think it, that it's a viable science isn't up to you because ag science is, ag science is, is very much a real science. And you know, uh, just like soil sciences, just like crop sciences, mm-hmm. just like livestock sciences. It's uh, yeah. really figuring out how do you do things the best way. It's not it's not just about getting production because the thing is, is that we can get production. That's not an issue. The question yeah, is, is how do you that. how do you do it in a way that is sustainable, viable, safe and effective? It's, you know, like this rise yes. in you know, like the hormones issue has come to be a bit of a problem because we're finding that, you know, the hormones that have been given to cattle get passed on. Mm. But like, you know, for example, this big issue of, you know, there's, there's been a outcry of, of people being pissed off over cattle getting vaccinated, treated, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? That, that, what? You know, last I checked, you know, you, kind of don't want your cow dying of preventable diseases kind of like you don't want your friends dying of preventable diseases right it's like i i can so, understand like the not treating the meat with antibiotics thing it's uh, I, I i'm on the fence about that one because well if you if you can 
have a sustainable farm and we everybody thinks that there's the producers who have the 80 cows and then there's the the smaller producer that has four or five cows and they treat them in a humane way and they monitor that stuff and and you know there's different ways to create the same thing well and that's the thing like we right we we ran 50 cows and you know we had a we had our summer pastures and our winter pasture our winter pasture was a lot smaller and why Mm -hmm. why was it smaller well Number one, it was by our house. Number two, when you get a lot of ground and snow cover, you don't exactly have, you know, they're not exactly eating a whole lot off the ground. You're usually feeding them hay and cake. Cake, not obviously not like you're going to the baker and getting a cake. It's a, it's a grain compound that has a bunch of nutrients packed into it. It's called cake. Um, Love it. And then you also have salt licks too. To help them get you know the different uh, 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 another nutrient profile there mm. so you combine all those things it's like wintering pasture yeah a little bit a little bit smaller but you know there they're huddling for warmth because eastern montana's cold as fuck and yeah, yeah. and you're providing you know we're providing a bunch of straw a bunch of windbreaks we had you know infrared in our barns so that way you could keep uh you know, not infrared uh heat lamps and in, in, infrareds mm-hmm. to help keep to help keep cows uh calves newborn calves warm i love that and so you know it's it's one of those things where you know during the summer they had a lot of acreage to roam around <laughs> during the winter not as much like just because number one you don't want to have a lot of acreage during calving calving season you want to be able to know that you're in a very small area. You're going to be able to look very quickly to find your calves, especially when you're hitting temperatures 20, 30, 40 below zero at night. Yeah. Like you don't want them wandering a, a far distance away from the herd. Well, know? and the longer that you have a calf that's out in those temperatures, the more, you know, especially newborn or if anybody gets stuck, you're going to end mm-hmm. up killing the cow and the calf. And that's just not good. No, I like, so, I like cows. So, you know, that's just, that's just, you know, there are some practical applications, but unfortunately there are impractical applications. There's a lot of feedlots where they're, you know, they're elbow to asshole and it's just a mess. It's disgusting. And, right. you know, there's, there's been, there's been, a, a, I would say in, in some cases, reasonable outcry on treatment. Some cases, not, not, not as many as people would want to say, but there's definitely some cases of, of unreasonable treatment of cattle out there. And, you know that's that's one of those things like treating trying to figure out how to treat your your livestock humanely is is in in some ways it's a, it's a weird concept because in the end you know you're raising these animals to be cold for food right but at the same time too like if you don't treat these animals well what ends up happening is they end up they end up dying because of diseases they end up dying because of you know broken bones and all that other stuff so totally oh it looks like we got emily up now (laughs) yay that's awesome i'm so glad they're doing better oh yeah they're definitely definitely doing all right i think emily's up for her her next shot like in a week or so that's 10 days so so the the who put out their um their study on where the virus came from last like last week i was like china huh the lab huh and i figured out where i heard that from and it was from the head the former head of the cdc Mm -hmm. saying that it came from that 
And I don't know why, because he had no proof to back up his theory. And and now they're talking about, so I we never actually addressed where they thought it was coming from, which was the wet markets. Mm-hmm. And do you know what a wet market yep, is? I do. Okay. It's where they trade live and uh, dead animals that, you know, from around the country. Mm-hmm. And so the bats, when you store a bat that is prone to have COVID with livestock that is an intermediary between us and that Mm -hmm. then it can it can pool in these things and actually that's where the SARS virus came from Mm -hmm. so they still think the first cluster came from a Wuhan wet market Mm -hmm. and so I guess I, I remember early on that they they were saying that this lab was taking their infected animals to the wet market. And now this all makes sense. But people that worked in that lab and people that have worked with China for 15 years on policies actually sat down and talked to a lot of the people in in this in the the institute for uh infections in china and they've worked with them and they've they've pretty much cleared that they said there's more digging to do but the wet market thing so like i I think i've said on here my favorite conspiracy theory in the origins of the coronavirus is that there was a lab accident at this lab you know we've had scientists there we funded that lab that there was a lab accident there and that's how COVID got out the reason I say it's my favorite conspiracy theory is because it's definitely based in a realm of plausible. Somebody screwed up, somebody got sick, somebody took it out with them. Right. That said, somebody ate a fucking bat. And the reason I say that isn't just because, you know, there's been the whole, oh, it's a bioweapon. No, it's not, because if it was a bioweapon, the you know, it did not have a fast enough body count for it to be a, a viable bioweapon. Right, right. <clears throat> that so I'm going to clear the air on that one right now because we know that there are weaponized plagues, weaponized pox out there that are far more effective than this. So that's not a thing. That yeah, is not a it's thing. E- it, it's, it's easier to kill people with anthrax than right, COVID, honestly. Right. So the idea, the idea that this is a weaponized virus is just stupid, and I would argue probably racist. Yeah, probably, probably. So now let's let's dial it back. Why the lab accident makes more sense is because, well, I mean, in China, they are notorious for if you fuck up, you die. I mean, that's just the function of their government. Right, right, right. But the reality is, is, is that if it were a lab issue, you would have expected to see more people at that lab be sick, mm. which is why I I don't think it's a lab issue. Now, what makes sense from historical data standpoints is, is that somebody ate a fucking bat. And why I say that is, is because if you look at other uh, diseases that have cropped up uh, around the world, for example, Ebola is a very common one that we end up seeing on and off. Mm-hmm. It comes from people in, in Africa eating bats. And a lot of the times what you're looking at is you're looking at, you know, there's been this question of whether or not it's, it's an exotic food thing or a lack of food thing. And, and I, I tend to think that it's a lack of food thing, not necessarily an exotic food thing. So, because if, if the origin really truly is this wet market, you know, this isn't a place where you're picking up expensive exotic foods that your rich are typically going to take in. This is where your poor are buying whatever they can afford. 
Yeah, exactly. And so that's why I say that, you know, historically speaking, we have more data to support that people are eating things that are really not exactly <clears throat> food grade. No. And or they're eating something that was sold adjacent to mm-hmm. that's what my thought my, my thought is is that the bats were being sold next sold next to live chickens and so it was just this or something where they jump. yeah right and also guano bat poop is actually a major industry in a lot of countries mm-hmm. and so i can see that there's multifaceted ways of contracting this just yep. a kid running around in the market where bats are pooping you know what i mean and so yeah. so the reality the reality of it is is that most likely you know it came from somebody eating a bat and i've said that mm. from the beginning and the reason is is because we already have historical evidence in other areas where other diseases have come from from people eating you know bats and other things that are are not food and right. catching these illnesses so yes <laughs> so as much as i love the conspiracy theory avenues the moment that you take any sort of second to think about it and go okay what historical evidence is there around the world yeah. i mean hell even in the united states we still have cases of the bubonic plague because somebody goes out and handles fucking prairie dogs yeah yeah that's right you know that's it's right. it's that's it's right. so it's not it's not this That's why we have Lyme disease, right? Right. You know, it's, it's not this, it's not this, you know, grand, Oh my God, you know, the Chinese have tried to kill us and you know, there's this weapons lab and oh, shut up. That's not a that thing. Is... Like if, if the Chinese really wanted to, to fuck us with a bioweapon, they've got plenty. COVID is not it. And it never was. Yeah. Stop thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Especially since you can't, you can't think that. And then also think that it's something that isn't killing people so you shouldn't wear a mask right those two the cognitive dissonance there it's a chinese bioweapon but i'm not going to wear a mask to keep from getting it i'm sorry what what level of moron are you on because i thought i understood where you were at (laughs) which is why which is why i said that if the last guy had said that wearing a mask was a patriotic duty you would have had half the population been like sir yes sir i'm gonna wear a mask and wear like six of them (laughs) And I'll double well, up on condoms the, at the same time. Yeah, no, fucking idiots. There's the then there's the cognitive cognitive dissidence of polit- all politicians <clears throat> lie, but I'm gonna believe this one as if he's God, you know. Right, I mean? and and so you know a lot of people have you know said, oh well, you only rail on the right. Okay, well it's my turn to rail on the left. All of these people that are reopening all of these things right now are fucking idiots because. Mm-hmm. The right, ha- you know, the last administration had been pushing for all of these things to be reopened and to be reopened safely. Well, it was bullshit. We knew it was bullshit then. So now that we got the new guy in charge, everybody's in a race to reopen everything. And I'm like, yeah, really? You think this is suddenly all better because we got a new guy in charge? That That's your line of thinking? This isn't all better yet. Not even close. No, it- in fact, cases and deaths are now starting to go up in this country again that that was the point that was the point is that it's just as bad so republicans can say it's just as bad under biden as it is under as it was under trump Mm -hmm. see it wasn't trump's fault i totally get that i don't see democrats saying open everything up like crazy i'm i see them saying what are you doing what are you doing you know what i mean right and you know so this has been really frustrating to watch because you know now you know they're opening up schools they're like we're gonna have kids here more and i'm going yeah, this is going to go down in flames. This is not going to yeah. go the way that you want it to. 
And because long, long-term long haulers disease is a thing, even in children, it can be a thing. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been studied. So children might not be dying, but they might be the people that get debilitated in the next 10 years from having it as a kid. Right. So that's, so that's where this is just absolutely insane to me. Like I, there, yeah. literally like, you know, three months left in, in the school year yeah. and they're rushing to get these kids back into yeah. classrooms and i think that what's going to end up happening is you're going to have a COVID outbreak kids are going to get sent home again and you're just re-traumatizing them whereas yeah. if you would have left them at home for the rest of the year said hey you know the vaccine is on the rise and pretty soon everybody's going to be able to get it and we'll see you in the right. fall but until then we're going to hunker down and we're just going to we're just going to keep everybody safe until <laughs> then awesome hey Thanks for listening to Public Access America. We're going to continue on the live feed, and uh, that's good. Have a great day. Hey, we moved. We're on Red Circle now. We're on. We're not on SoundCloud, but we are on Amazon Music and To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's still burns as bright tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth but from the enduring power of our ideals democracy liberty opportunity and unyielding hope let me tell you something you already know the world ain't all sunshine and rainbow it's a very mean and nasty place and i don't care how tough you are it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently for letting you Nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. We wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Podcast, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, Potable, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making.